Welcome to the Raindrop Corner podcast, a chill place where creatives and real-life superheroes converge to chat it up about cool things. And I'm your host, Kay, and without further ado, here's an ode to our guest. Stand on the square. Boy with eyes stripped bare. Eyes trained on aberrations thought to scare. Weaving energy with an ardent flare. The risen man who dances with Earth's air. The alchemical bear who ascends the stair. Mystic of the ages, bearing tools of the sages, I see you stoking the fervor of a fire ever raging. You broke free of society's caging, freely phasing, a metamorphosis whimsically shifting control. The psychic light worker and emissary, a sight to behold. Irradiating words both told and untold, listening to ancestors imploring you to be bold, finally taking hold of flesh and bone, climbing up rungs, tangoing with hymns someone sung to a soul that was once young, bearing the seal of wise tongues, crafted by threads loosely strung, mason, mortal, human, you glow. Floating among checkered floors, you flow, aware of the weight of woe, because it is in their image you grow. The cave of your mind, a most glorious burrow. Colors that shine, sewing together might and divine design. Shades of gold and shadow running up your spine. Hands clasped among an old shrine. The three gradually resign just to realign. So man who stands on the square, eyes now aware, possessive of magic you graciously share, know that you are beautifully rare. Glory be to the man who stands on the square. And today we have Paulo Santo with us today. And I I really have been wanting to talk to you. I felt called to almost talk to you, which is not something that happens very often. I feel like you have many different gifts and you have cultivated a lifetime of learning and growing yourself and sharing that growth and sharing those lessons with other people. You are a hypnotist. You have mediumship work that you do. You are a psychic. You run the group, the Pillars of Prophecy. Before we get into the myriad of things that you have done, because you've done so much, you've even written books, how did you become this person who was able to really channel their spirituality and their growth and their energy into helping other people and really teaching them about these nuances that we've been surrounded by even before we were here on this earth? Good question. Uh, for, for those that don't understand, I have a very interesting sense of humor, and I, and I always say things factual, so I was dropped on my head at a very early age as a child. <laughs> but no, uh, seriously, I've always had a connection to magic, um, magic with a C, magic with a K, ancient mysteries. Um, I was that weird kid. I was the one that, uh, at the age of seven, um, getting in trouble because I used to hide my chicken bones uh, that were properly cleansed and clean and had no idea what the hell I was doing. And I assorted it in a certain way under my mattress and my stepmother found it 
thought it was some crazy abortion shit, and I got disciplined for it. But I saw shadows and shadow people and spirits as a kid and didn't understand. And I really didn't start understanding my family lineage until many, many, many years later. I'm talking probably about seven or eight years ago, my dad finally opened up to me. There's, there's, there's a lot of time and a lot of uh, interest, but to kind of go into you know, some background, I've, I've studied all forms of magic, uh, Eastern and Western philosophies of magic and application. I had no clue my family legacy and lineage into Masonic orders and into bodies um, until after I was already a Master Mason. Uh, I've already passed the third degree, uh, becoming a 32nd degree. Mm-hmm. See, Pillars of Prophecy is its own entity. Um, it is not a Masonic Lodge. We do have a lot of high-ranking individuals that are involved in Pillars of Prophecy. Mm-hmm. I, I formed the Pillars of Prophecy about uh, 10, 15 years before I became a Mason. So mm-hmm. I had no clue. I just had that natural gravitation. And I didn't know why. And once I went through the mysteries of it, um, I was like, oh, shit, okay, this does make sense. Now it makes sense why I was magnetically drawn to it. And you being a, uh, a Cody, so not like you're... Yes, are, uh, yes, I am. Out of Chicago. So we understand with the ancient mystery, that natural draw to it. I actually have a couple friends um, that are um, part of Cody's history. One of them just finished their, um, I believe it's their, their, um, their fellow craft. Mm-hmm. Um, and so from that, and they were out in Utah, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, no, they're here in Florida, but they initiated from the Grand Lodge uh, in Utah. And it um, it was interesting. Now, there's certain things that even in co-masonry, um, you're not allowed to share. Uh, there's things that we can't share. But as brothers and sisters of the same light, um, and that's where we can share ideals and philosophies and then touch mm-hmm. on certain subject matters that, that can't. That can't um, for the sake of context, just for people who might not be as well acquainted with masonry, what is masonry to you specifically? To me, um, as we, we know the term masonry as uh, people who build and uh, architectural type of stuff, the ancient bricklayer guilds and uh, those that are building. But we start looking into not just the, the, the um, authentic or the operative aspect of what the term or the word stood for, but speculative and romantic aspect side where it's a builder. Um, we are the builders individually of our own reality and so start to understand you know concepts of law of attraction manifestation or the i am concept we're given tools that are seen and unseen to help shape those building blocks which helps shapes our reality and it's all fueled by the philosopher's stone which i have some um, theories and opinions on what truly is the philosopher's stone i do as well the, uh, the philosophy uh, or the ideal of what I would call the Midas touch, mm-hmm. and which gives us value to perception. And so it's, it's quite fascinating to start breaking things down. It really is. And I think I wanted to talk about specifically what it is because I feel like masonry isn't, and I mean, granted, there is a certain level of, it's not even secrecy, but just a certain level of sacredness that it holds. So it's not talked about as much. And when it is talked about, it's in documentaries or 
social media randomly or people speculating that it is, you know, some sort of strange Illuminati-esque cult based um, group or cult. And that's not at all what it is. And I wanted to talk a little bit about it because I know you said Pillars of Prophecy is its own separate entity, but you as a Mason, I, I'm glad that we were able to kind of talk about what that means to you to kind of branch away from the stereotype of, oh, it's secret, so it must be something dark, it must be something bad. So thank you for sharing that. How did you get into, not even get into, I feel like as, I feel like Masons have already kind of had that innately inside of them it's not something that you just come upon you might come upon the group or the order that you join but it's it's in your soul so how was that unleashed what was your gateway into i would say knowing masonry well all my life i was always uh, drawn to the uh, mystique of it i was drawn to the symbols um, and the symbolism of it and, and yeah, I, I think what you were saying is a lot of the world looks at Masons as Illuminati or the World Order or some sinister thing, which has nothing to do with them. And they have helped mankind um, survive a lot of the Dark Ages. Uh, and even to this day now, we're, we're dwindling in number because of the 60s and 70s and some things that have transpired since then. Mm-hmm. Code Masonry has been around since the 1700s. Yep. It's needed. I do have the caution people because just like every spiritualist religion you're going to have the good practitioners and you're going to have the ones that are bad duality here so you're either an equal opportunist where it's a win-win for everybody and it's for growth and building up you know for something better uh or it's uh what i would say parasitic where it's solely individual and they're only focused on themselves to build themselves and nobody else now what's interesting about the order is that those type of individuals you start to see them slowly get pushed out now in today's time uh, by some mysterious force Uh, they come in they have this uh, uh, enchanted illusion of what it's supposed to be and they don't get the uh the gold ticket or whatever magical scroll is that they think they're supposed to be getting and then they leave the order not realizing that what they're digging for is just beyond that veil and um, and I think it's asking the right questions, as they say, right answers. Um, sometimes we have to knock on the appropriate door. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where I ended up um, finding my way to the order is where just naturally I was starting to see that symbolism everywhere. I was the, um, the resident medium psychic at Earth Gifts. They're homegrown. They've been here forever. And I just love everybody who works there. And I was there for about four or five years mm-hmm. and there's a lodge not too far and so it was perfect timing where i knew that there's a set time that we have our meetings as you know and it's not too far so i have to knock on the door and uh, say hey guys okay what's it about and there was a wonderful um wise individual who kind of gave me some background and i just started to feel and trust my own intuitional instincts where i'm getting Bumps and the chills, and I'm like, okay, all right, well, let's try it out. I'm not going to say, let's see, because it's far from it. Uh, a lot of study, a lot of memorization. Um, mm-hmm. Like with any organization, there's always going to be some drama. Uh, there's always going to be some type of pushback of difference of ideology. 
but at the end of the day, we all took that same oath. Um, even if you're PHA as Prince Hall or Co. or even ourselves, we all understand that level of sacredness as you were saying about that oath and come to the same level, come on that same step and say, okay, cool. Uh, we understand the value of sacredness. You talked about doors. Tell me about the other doors that you knocked on growing up that kind of help in your spiritual and magical journey um, to be who you are, to be who you became. Wow. I've knocked on God doors and Valero doors, and I've studied Buddhist doors and the Hindu and Celts. And, and I started to realize that every religion has a purpose. Every spirituality of theosophy is a part of the puzzle. And like one tradition gives you visualization techniques to master, another of theosophy religion gives you the physical condition aspects, another one gives you techniques another one gives you the vibratory essence within to vibrate another one gives you the alchemy aspects of it and i didn't i you know i had all those puzzle pieces growing up through life you know, you're talking about over 30 years of compiling data and applying it mm-hmm. but it really the light switch didn't hit until after i um was raised on the step of a, of a master and uh, or a third grade call Mm-hmm. And from that, it dawned on me. I go, oh wow, okay. So the legends of Solomon, not just a essence of morality or mythos, um, but could it be real? And then I started to see how all of these little puzzle pieces sort of fit together. And then that's kind of what helped fuel my passion inside me to go further kind of dive a little bit deeper into it and to realize that okay well in modern times you know we're familiar that it comes to be what 1777 or 1717 yeah. you know they want to claim that the grand lodge was formed but we're finding documents that you know like personally i found documents from the 1300s yeah there are 1300s arguably yeah. before depending on how you're interpreting hieroglyphics Agree, right? and that goes into what we were saying earlier about the time of Noah. Mm-hmm. So you have what is known as the Malachite legends, um, and eventually they became uh, the Knights of Enoch, mm-hmm. uh, which ties back into you know, the Enochian systems of Solomon, and the, the actual Knights of Solomon, and then eventually they became the Guardians of the Temple, and then eventually the Knights Temple. Um, a lot of people think that the Knights of Temple were very strong. Christian crusader type of thing. And, and yes, on one aspect there, there was, but then there was individuals that understood the value of sanctity of the spirit. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to dismiss uh, or, you know, like some uh, alternative spiritualists that want to like shun and, and cast out Christianity. There's a lot of beautiful lessons. And actually, if you take the stories of what was told or written, you're hearing the stories of Enoch, you're hearing the stories of Solomon, you're hearing mm-hmm. the stories of Osiris. You know, because if you take Osiris and Osiris and how he was born and what he went through, and take Jesus, I mean, they're identical. Yep, they are. Know? And there's actual written documentation, mm-hmm. you know, from the 1200s, 1100s that we can find in full, and like you're saying, ancient documents. It is very common for people to, who are alternative in their beliefs, whether it's a combination of spirituality and religion or them discriminately they tend to shun christianity and i like how 
your your journey has prompted you to pursue all different forms of magic, all different forms of religion to really kind of go into the actual epitome of what that is, of what it's meant to do when you strip aside maybe more so of the man-made components and you look at the actual reality of it. I think that's something that a lot of people miss. And it's not to say that, you know, you can't be monotheistic, but it is nice to be able to appreciate spirituality and religion, which are two (laughs) very different things for what they are outside of very common, just man-made beliefs. So I, I really adore that you brought that up. And I feel like it allows you probably to be a, the, a good teacher like you are. It allows you to talk to people and really reach them on every level. I've almost lost my leg. A lot of people don't know this, that I, I have no shit in my right leg. Um, I had my head split open for the concrete pose. I've had the whole right side of my body from my wrist severed and snapped. Um, I actually have torn um, rotator cuff, torn MCLs. I've broken every bone in my hand, my feet, my nose. I don't know how many times. I think the, the type of training that I study help again to fix myself. Um, so that way now I can share it to somebody. I, I don't take any narcotics. It's not my thing. Um, mm-hmm. I don't either. So when a doctor goes, hey, we need to put this on because you have some serious injuries and pain levels up, how do you deal with this? I study different forms of meditation, different reading techniques, different stretching techniques, and I take certain herbs. and, and, And I do talk to my doctor about my homeopathic remedies mm-hmm. of what I'm doing. And I think it's cool that you do that. I I have experience with definitely kind of gravitating more towards homeopathic medicine, especially with my health, just because I find that I also don't take narcotics. And I, I have never wanted to, Not nothing against people who do, because sometimes that works well for people. But I liked the way I felt after taking something that was herbal or taking something that was a little bit more organic and natural. It just it left my body feeling a little bit more refreshed, even if, you know, I had to find ways to navigate the pain. You mentioned meditation and breathing techniques. Just to kind of give some background here. My very first job was a inventory control specialist for Winn-Dixie, mm-hmm. which a fancy name for saying a stock clerk <laughs> <laughs> and you know from that um i went into um a little bit of retail and then i went into sales and marketing um i ran a call center um, for a while and that really started to understand i just had a natural uh, i guess gift of gap um, got it from my dad's side of the family and sort of refined that sort of understand the different techniques of the ins and outs of the elevator pitch and the bottles and closing and everything else. So that means, you know, I sold everything from uh, internet packages to high speed cable to timeshares. I started to feel empty and hollow, like most of everybody does. I say, what we call cubicle gophers. And I decided to get into the realm of, of, of full time magic. I already had a good background in it and studied it at a very young age. Um, I think my dad and my grandmother, um, it was really my grandmother and my dad's side, giving, giving me a book um, 
It was a Henry Hay book. Mm-hmm. And I started to understand the philosophy of what magic is and how. And that started to open my mind up. So as I'm reading this, I started to realize that uh, you know, we can do things with our minds, but we have to practice it, you know, not like anything. And even though I was in martial arts as a kid, my dad wanted me to be very active. And uh, we didn't have any technology or anything. You know, we're always outside playing, told you we're outside playing. And I wanted to just focus and study my room. And I started to understand this, not knowing that I was learning um, hypnosis, uh, subtle hypnosis and reality manipulation. That got me into a point, I think I was 19, 20. Um, I got brought in the clinical director of Northeast Florida um, to work with him on certain uh, different spiritual practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had a detox center. Um, unfortunately, I did not have the grades to go to college. I did not have the money either to go to college. I was on my own at 15. My dad wanted uh, to move to North Carolina, to the bridge. The mountains were calling him. He hid from his, his talents his whole life. Uh, he ran away from it. And I embraced it. And he's like, you know, why do you got to be your kid? You know, why can't you be normal? And I was like, Dad, this is just who I am. And he's like, well, we're moving to North Carolina. What do you want to do? And I said, well, I want to finish and graduate high school. He says, okay, well, you think you're a man. Um, get your shit. Good luck. Bye. You know, and he loaded up the trailer, and then he was gone. And I'm standing there in the driveway going, what the fuck? And he pulls back, and uh, he was a locksmith. He was self-employed his whole life. He used to run calls with them um, as a kid. So when the kids had summer and they were able to play, I was in a hot work band, learning how to rekey and run calls, so to say. Looking back now, actually, I'm thankful that I went through that because it gives me that drive mm-hmm. and to keep pushing and to be self-made because he was a self-made man. He was tough, he was rigid, he was very strict, um, but I now understand, especially having two kids. He tossed me the keys. He said, never said I gave you anything. And it was the keys to a gutted 1982 Astro van. I had to learn how to fix it, you know. Um, I, I had to come around up, so from the age of 15 on, I was independent, I was on my own learning it. Luckily, Dr., uh, I'm not going to say the name, but the clinical director during this time period, um, like I said, had a detox facility, and he said, well, why don't you go to college you know, for psychology? So I'd love to, but I just don't. I didn't have the money or the grade to have a scholarship. And I started to learn hypnosis, and he kind of started to teach me the proper way to do it. And I was able to utilize a facility it is um, for practice and to get better at it, counseling techniques. And I was like, yeah, great, this is where I'm going. So what I realized is humans are creatures of habit, right? Mm-hmm. So that means we're creatures of addiction, of habit. And that it, really all we're going to do is substitute one addiction for another addiction. And so what I realized is, okay, well, to overcome certain things, why don't you just substitute one addiction for a healthier addiction? Um, Like, for instance, when I do hypnosis for an individual who's addicted to alcohol, um, I do somnambulism, which is a subconscious uh, reprogramming um, protocol. Mm -hmm. And what that does is I create amnesia to the alcohol, to the bottles, that they just see a bottle, they don't see the alcohol. And then try to wipe memory of the emotional connection to the alcohol. Mm-hmm. And then we implant a better addiction. So that means it might be coffee 
or it might be exercise, or it might be riding the bike or something. So what will happen is instead of them instantly wanting to go have a drink, they're going to want to drink coffee, um, or they're going to want to ride a bike, or they're going to want to run, they're going to want to swim read a book so whatever they have an interest in becomes the addiction and so i i learned a lot of interesting techniques um application because of that and then all that helped fuel um more of the esoteric or the magical aspects of guess because every tradition um has beautiful wonderful magic and beauty is the underlying formula um that wrote about which is as Mason and PHA and all that we start to understand that there is that underlying thread of formula it's like um, there's hundreds of different ways to make an omelet but we know that you have to have certain key ingredients and there's a certain process to compound those ingredients to make that omelet but when you start to add the filling to it see that's all coming from it's all coming from I do want to loop back to hypnosis because when we see it, I feel like in cartoons, it's almost kind of made to be this fun or whimsical thing or sometimes a joke or you watch it on television and it's somebody holding an object up and there's not really a true deep dive into how that works. So just speaking about it, what is your process when you go to hypnotize? A patient. Uh, the tenure at the Omni Center of Hypnosis in like Florida under uh, Gerald Klein, mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Gerald Klein, and uh, really focused and uh, what we would call the element induction is a very progressive and gentle uh, induction. And there is steps to it. Uh, one, confidence is the biggest key. If you're a hypnotist and you do not have confidence, it's not going to work. Um, and I think that's where years that I spent running a call center and dealing with people telling me, no, we don't want free HBO, you know, go to hell and we're trying to rebuttal them I had to pay my bills, you know, yeah. to get the sell, to have the confidence to get the close. So like if you're not a good salesperson, you're gonna have a hard time being a hypnotist. So you're gonna have that natural confidence. There's a difference between being a car salesman, which is slang mm-hmm. um, and you have an agenda versus somebody who's natural um, be caring about somebody uh, who is sincere and gentle. Um, and we see that in today with uh, everybody on Facebook. Hey, Terror Tuesdays, the staring at an object, um, that, that's, that, is, that is a technique of asphyxiation. Uh, in the asphyxiate, uh, if they have a hard time in vision. Uh, so sometimes you have to have focus on something because they're not a visual person. Um, if you get them to close their eyes and just envision certain things, it works. Um, every hypnotist has a different formula. Like I like to use the element induction on top of the stair count. Mm-hmm. Then from the stair count, I go into other techniques. You have certain tests that you will do because to create what you see stage hypnotists do, mm-hmm. there's only, I'm going to say I've only met five legitimate um, stage hypnotists that actually were doing uh, for real uh, because hypnosis is still a phenomenon uh, and they can't explain why but there's been enough of a documentation especially at university that it's classified as a real and legitimate phenomenon uh, that does take place and so it's uh, to 
for instance, to be able to create uh, amnesia right, for detox, right, to off of an addiction or something of that nature, you have to create amnesia. In order to create amnesia, you need to be able to create what we call um, controlled hallucinations. Mm -hmm. And this is where, like, for instance, the hypnotist would say, now the color black is now the color red. Everything that you see that is black is now red. And when they open their eyes, one, two, three eyes open, wide awake, look great. They look and they go, oh man, everything's red. You know, that's black. Uh, they go, how do you do that? Uh, or you hear, um, like, I, I became a floating head. Um, for a group one time where like my whole body disappeared. I was just a head floating around. Um, I had somebody, uh, their belly button fell off mm -hmm. um, or they were uh, the world's famous elbow inspector. And they were, <laughs> I I was like out that. house. That's actually one of the best stories <laughs> I've got. Uh, my friend, my wife, she was telling them about the, the house party. We were at this house party and I, I had a little bit of drink and I decided to start hypnotizing certain people. So, <laughs> friends, I would come up and shake their hand, and instantly they're like, they're going to shake my hand, and I turn their head like, don't, don't, don't look at me. I think, you know, don't look. Oh, stop staring at me. And I'm like, come on, look at me. They're like, no. <laughs> and, you know? um, and we had one person become an alien uh, who spoke of uh, an alien language, and their whole job was they were the last of their species. And they needed to, um, you know, procreate and to repopulate their species. And then we had another one who was world's famous outdoor inspector. The whole night, this individual walked through checking with an invisible clipboard like a clinician and making sure the elbow was moving properly and bending appropriately. And I said, okay, check, you're, you're good. And, you know, so it was, it was fun. You know, it was fun. Um, when you can do that, now you can start to implement practical things, meaning um, people have stage fright. Mm -hmm. Okay, to be able to get somebody to speak in front of a thousand person audience, uh, or like when, when I got um, picked up with the, uh, the Florida uh, Board, uh, Board of Education, mm -hmm. I was doing hypnosis for memory improvement and uh, overcoming uh, fear of taking tests. Just for whatever reason, the psychological understanding of the word test, that people lock up, they know the material, mm -hmm. but they freak out. And uh, you and I know as and, and being part of the order, there is a lot of memorization that we have to do. A ton. And a lot of uh, script work that we have to do. So, and a lot of public speaking. And so we overcome that because of practice and training. But for a student who's taken a state exam or taken their ASVAB uh, uh, or taken their FCATs, and a lot of younger kids high school with their FCATs, they're freaking out and their anxiety and stress. Mm -hmm. So to do a group hypnosis for an entire grade class and you're having everybody kind of thought out and then you're helping them reprogram you're utilizing the same technique as if i was making somebody become an elbow inspector mm -hmm. um, because the biggest thing is i think the biggest uh misconceived notion of hypnosis is that you're not in control and that's not true so what happens is you're in the most state of control of yourself no boundaries, no barriers, all the inhibition completely removed. Mm -hmm. And that's where the individual is able to, because they do, they, they're the ones helping reprogram themselves. Um, so if the person wants to improve their golf swing, they're going to improve their golf swing because that moment of relaxation that they felt to be successful with the hypnosis is the same experience that they're going to have to have that perfect golf swing. 
or to overcome whatever trauma or to overcome the obstacle or to improve the memory. Um, so hypnosis is a big advocate for it. I, I love it. Um, it's a lot of fun. There is some stuff that, yeah, people can do the dark side. Um, I've seen people rob a bank. No joke. Um, with, uh, oh, wow. Yeah, they would go in. I've seen one go into. Um, actually, he got picked up. Um, he, I think he just got released uh, last year. Potentially, mm-hmm. um, I think it was because of COVID. But he was looking at 10 to 15 years. He uh, went into a store mm-hmm. and hypnotized the store clerk to empty out all the cash in the register. And they did and unlocked the safe and everything. And he loaded it up and he grabbed the money and he ran out. And I call this instant karma because as I just take an oath, mm-hmm. um, just like, you know, uh, the, the, any of the uh, ancient practices. And he ran right into a cop. And when he <laughs> ran into the cop, the cop was like, what are you doing, guy? And uh, long story short, you know, he went to jail. Mm-hmm. Um, we watched a guy when we were over in Thailand and he hypnotized one of the uh, street vendors uh he had a huge uh zucchini mm-hmm. uh, i'm talking massive you know almost two football massive dudes. and he hypnotized this guy that that zucchini was the world's strongest spliff you know it was just the biggest blunt it was the biggest spliff with the world's strongest cannabis mm-hmm. and so he's smoking this zucchini Mm-hmm. And the guy is reading the line. Mm-hmm. He's like, wow, wow, you know, and this is really happening. And then he tells the guy, the cops are coming, the cops are coming, what do we do? And he, the guy who hypnotized this vendor pulls out a giant construction contractor bag, you know, black bag, mm-hmm. and they load up his entire food stand into this contractor. Wow. You're talking five bags, and yes, the, the hypnotist had some friends, mm-hmm. and he's loading it off to them and they're running off with it. So you're talking, you know, maybe two weeks worth of food. That's a lot of food. I feel like they have done this before. This sounds very coordinated. That's why the real techniques um, are, are safe under key. Um, not, you know, there's so many of these similars you see popping up on Facebook and um, on the channels that are like, Hey, you know, come and take this seminar class and pay, you know, a couple thousand dollars, and it's only for X amount of hours for the weekend. And now you're a certified hypnotist. I'm sorry, they're getting rich off of your money mm-hmm. uh, because you're not gonna really learn the, the true secrets of how to do it. it it's almost like I feel, you know, my heart goes out to those who spent, you know, ten thousand dollars to go to Glory Virtue Angel course, you know. To I'm a certified angel here. Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen that way. In hypnosis, I, I did ten years of study. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it, it was a it was t- it was a full ten years course, and I'm still learning. I'm still learning different techniques. So try to go and become a, a master hypnotist in three days. I'm sorry, it's not going to happen. It's mm-hmm. no different than somebody saying, "Oh, well, I took a weekend course, and now I'm a Reiki master." Uh, no. Um, that doesn't happen. I mean, you're talking many, many years of application and practice, and we still learn every day. And, and that's where you can tell the difference between the ones that are wanting their 
uber status and they're wanting that that recognition or that fame and just having all the money and now you can see where their intent is their intent truly is not in the healing arts themselves or the counseling arts how do you want to evolve when you take all of the work you've done into account and all of the things that you've learned that's a good question i've i've lived by a code of uh, one day at a time i would love to get back on a mass stage platform that I would love to be able to reach and reach more and talk to more. Um, I took a hiatus. Um, I, I was at one point no traveling. Um, I was on massive stages and I was doing some big events mm-hmm. and something happened in my life uh, that it all came short um, and it all stopped about 2008. So I wasn't being true for myself. And that's where for any spiritual practitioner at the end of the day, uh, if there's anything that they can take from this podcast is you have to be true to yourself. Don't worry about what anybody else thinks. Don't read the fan mail. Don't worry about trying to have fans with a big variety of recognition. Be true to you. Because at the end of the day, like my grandfather once said, if you were born into this world by yourself, then you shall leave this world by yourself. So the journey in between what did it mean to you? I started to apply it and I just lived my life. I actually lived that life. It became great who I was. And there was a, a great teacher, uh, a bride, who said, be the magician 24 7. And that starts to change your viewpoint. You start to see the world as a magical place. You start to see that, oh, this traffic jam, there's probably a meaning behind it. I gave a lecture years ago on what I call the franchise course mm-hmm. um, and kind of look at corporations and companies and see you're going to have two of everything maybe three mm-hmm. so like for burgers you know you can have McDonald's Burger King Wendy's that, that's really all you have mm-hmm. and then even certain ones are teaming up with other entities you know like KFC and Taco Bell are teaming up you know and Domino's and somebody else they're teaming mm-hmm. so what starts to happen is COVID is thinning the herd, and even your entrepreneurs that are trying to come up, the market is so super saturated in so many areas of life that it's going to thin the herd. The ones who are serious uh, with the intent and proper intent of the execution of dreams and desires, they're going to be resourceful, they're going to be adaptable, and they're going to be successful because of this shift. Um, the other Agreed. ones. If they're not properly aligned with their intent and why they're wanting to do it, it's not going to work for them. I agree with that. And just to kind of offer an expounded perspective, I also feel like it pushed people into doing the things that maybe they probably always needed to do or to look at their businesses from a different perspective or to shift businesses altogether. To be in a situation where a pandemic kind of comes out of left field. Nobody's prepared for it. Nobody's expecting it. There are some people in the workforce who were in situations where their job just wasn't as sustainable based off of the state of the world. And I will say much to what you were saying, it kind of helps us get back to basics, sometimes experiencing that. You have the people who are adaptable and they're able to sustain themselves. And then you have... The individuals, like you said, back in 2008, everything came to a halt for you. 
So you're in a situation where you kind of had to reevaluate your life and reevaluate your approach. And I think that's something that everybody can relate to in some form or another and kind of use it as fuel to push forward and figure out what their purpose is and what their passion is. Paulo, tell everybody, so if they want to learn more about what you do, whether it's Pillars of Prophecy or to maybe get engaged in some of the other work that you do, where can they find out more about you? Um, for Pillars of Prophecy, um, you go to pillarsofprophecy.com. Um, the site is up. Um, it gives a little uh, list of our tenants, our creed, um, some of our uh, ideals. You can find me on Facebook. Um, just look up Old City Psychic or even Apollo Santo or Pillars of Prophecy. Paulo, thank you so much. And to everybody listening, we will talk to you soon. Thank you to all of our listeners out there. As always, you are the most beloved and make all of this magic possible. The Raindrop Corner podcast can be found on all standard listening platforms like Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud. And until next time.